welcome you. If you want to stand up, we're going to worship the Lord together.
Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end.
But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So while Mary was still engaged to Joseph, she miraculously became pregnant, just as the angel had said. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, from the son and they shall name him Emmanuel. days, Caesar Augustus made a law. It required that a list be made of everyone in the whole Roman world. Everyone went to their own town to be listed, so Joseph went also. He went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. That is where Bethlehem, the town of David, was. Joseph went there because he belonged to the family line of David. Joseph and Mary were there, the time came for the child to be born. She gave birth to her first baby. It was a boy. She wrapped him in large strips of cloth, then placed him in a manger, 
That's because there were no guest room where they could stay. taking care of, she- of the sheep. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good ty- news that will bring great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Here is how you will know I am telling you the truth. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a large group of angels from heaven also appeared. They were praising God and said, May glory be given to God in the highest heaven, and may peace be given to those he is pleased with on earth. left and went into heaven. Then the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby. The baby was wrapped, lying in a manger. After the shepherds had seen him, they told everyone. They reported what the angels had said about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary kept all these things like a secret treasure in her heart. She thought about them over and over. The shepherds returned, and they gave praise and glory to God. Everything they had seen and heard was just as they had been told. birth, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the child who has been born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. Now we have came to worship him.
heard about it, he was very upset. Everyone in Jerusalem was troubled too. So Herod called together all the chief priests of the people. He also called the teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, This is what the prophet has written. He said, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not the least important among the towns of Judah. A ruler will come out of you. He will rule my people Israel like a shepherd. secretly called for the wise men. He found out from them exactly when the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. He said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report it to me. Then I can go and worship him too. men had listened to the king they went on their way the star they had seen when it rose when it rose went ahead of them and finally stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star they were filled with joy the wise men went to the house and there they saw the child with his mother mary they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasures they gave him gold frankincense and myrrh but God warned them in a dream not to go to Herod so they returned to their country on a different road for to us a child was born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace Your baby boy 
would save our sons and daughters. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Your baby boy gives sight to a blind man. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels drive? When you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leave, the dumb will speak, the praise is Lord of all creation, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nation? Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great. you guys give everyone a hand for all of that hard work? Yeah, amen. I wish they could have all seen you stand up. <laughs> It's wonderful. Thank you guys for uh, being here. Merry Christmas to all of you. Such a wonderful time to gather together with family and friends and, and worship Christ. You know, this is what it's all about. It's about worship. Christmas is about worship. Christmas, we all know as believers in Jesus Christ, Christmas is not about the presents. It's not about the trees. It's not about the lights. It's not about the Christmas carols. It's not about all the things that our world tries to make it out to be. Christmas is about 
worship. It's about worshiping the one true king. It's about worshiping him. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. That's how he came. He, is, he, he became God, Emmanuel, God with us. He came over 2,000 years ago, was born of a virgin, came in a humble way in a manger in a town called Bethlehem. He was from Nazareth. He grew up in, in obscurity, in humility, but he, he didn't stay a baby in a manger. He became our Savior. He died on the cross, and, and, and three days later, he rose again. And so Christmas is not about the worship of a baby in a manger. Christmas is about the worship of a risen king. He is Jesus, our risen king. So that's what we're here to do. And this morning, we're going to look at a message that I've titled, Worship the King Who Rides on a Colt. Worship the King Who Rides on a on a cult. And so before we get into the message, before we unpack what we're going to look at here this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning and for the privilege of gathering together on this Sunday morning and this Sunday where we commemorate your birth. We don't just commemorate your birth, we commemorate your life and your resurrection and who you are and what you've come to do. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly. I pray that you'd help me to speak accurately and I pray that all of those that are here God they would have receptive hearts and that you would minister to us today through your word we pray all this in Jesus name amen so we've looked in the last four weeks we are in our Jesus is king series Jesus is king and so over the last four weeks we've looked at the prophecies concerning his life concerning his birth Concerning his heritage. And so I just want to give a little overview of where we've been. The prophet Isaiah said 600 years before the birth of Christ that he would be born of a virgin. And he was born of a virgin. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise that through the seed of Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that is exactly what is confirmed in Matthew chapter 1. It says that Jesus, in Matthew 1, when you look at the genealogy in Matthew 1, it says that Jesus was born from Abraham. And then in Genesis 49, it says that the eternal king would come from the tribe of Judah. And again, in Matthew chapter 1, it says that Jesus came from the royal tribe of Judah. And then listen to this prophecy in Isaiah 9. Verses 6 through 7, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And listen to this, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it from, with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Matthew chapter 1 confirms that Jesus was not only of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Judah, but he was of the line of David, of the royal line. And so Jesus, in his birth and how he came in his birth, he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth of the Messiah. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 2. It says this, It says that when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
So Jesus fulfilled that prophecy that, that the Messiah would come from, would be from Nazareth. And then previously we looked at that he would be born in Bethlehem. And he fulfilled that. That was a prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the Old Testament has many other prophecies concerning Christ. Not just his birth and where he would be born and where he would be from. But there's many prophecies about his life and, and how he would live and what he would do and the miracles that would take place. And, and his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. It was all foretold through the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. Every single one of them. And all of this is leading to our final message in the Jesus is King series. And, and, and there's one particular prophecy that I want us to look at this morning. And it's found in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. And it's found in chapter 9, Zechariah 9 verse 9. And, and Zechariah was a, was a prophet like the, like the other Old Testament prophets. And they were mainly called to speak to the nation of Israel. And if you remember in the Jesus is King series, the, pri- the primary message of the prophets in the Old Testament, was to look at the children of Israel who had fallen into idolatry and had rebelled against God. And the prophets would come and they would call them back to God and say, return, repent of your sins, return to God. But Zechariah, the prophet, he has a little bit of, of a different message. His message is to come to the children of Israel and because of the, of the nation of Israel's rebellion against God, Jerusalem, the, the temple in Jerusalem had been torn down. The prophet Zechariah comes to the nation of Israel and tells them and says, you need to rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. It is, it, the, the temple is fallen. And he, and, and he says this, he says, he says, when you do, when you rebuild, when you return, when you repent, when you rebuild, the Messiah is coming. And so the prophet Zechariah is a hope-filled prophet coming to speak to the nation of Israel and motivate them and say, you need to rebuild the temple because if you do, Hope is coming. If you do, if you make a place for the Lord, you make a place for the Messiah, hope is coming and he will come. And this is what we see in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Listen to this prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold. What does behold mean? It says, look. Be alert. Look. Behold. Your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so you have one more prophet, the prophet Malachi, after Zechariah. And after the prophet Malachi, after this prophecy in Zechariah 9, after this, there's 400 years of no prophetic voice. There's 400 years of silence. And the word of the Lord is not coming forth to God's people. And after 400 years, who who comes? John the Baptist comes. And what does he begin to say? He begins to say, wake up. Prepare the way for the king is coming, for the Lord is coming. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes to prepare the way for the Lord. And so Jesus comes, and this is Christmas. This is God, God Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what we just looked at through this program, through the first part of this program. 400 years of silence is broken with the voice of John the Baptist saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And the Lord comes, and he comes, and he's born. 
And then, and then he is presented in his earthly ministry and he comes and, and he lives and he lives his life and he does miracles and, and, and he's proving himself to be not just a good man, not, not just a good teacher, but he's proving himself to be Messiah King through his life. And so what's interesting about the prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 is that Jesus fulfills the prophecy. But if you remember the other prophecies, where Jesus would be born and, and where he would come from, those are prophecies that Jesus couldn't control on his own. How many of you can control where you were born? That was against your will, where you were born. Some of you think, I wish I was been born someplace else. But you were born where the Lord wanted you to be born because that's out of your control. And that was out of Jesus' control, so to speak, right? Because he was going to be born where God was going to have him be born. But this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, Jesus intentionally fulfills. He makes a point to fulfill this prophecy because he's doing something. He's making a case. He's making a declaration to the people of Israel, to the region all around where he is at. And look, Jesus had been around doing miracles, healing the sick. Healing, healing those that were blind, those that were born blind. He was doing many miracles and he was gaining fame. He was feeding multitudes of hungry people. Thousands of people were fed with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Miraculous signs and wonders at the, at the hands and through the mouth of Jesus Christ. And so he's gaining fame. It's not just, it's not just like, it's not just like here this morning where we, we, have a, we have a crowd here that is gathered and, and you know there's room for more people to be here but when Jesus went around there was no more room why? because he was, he was walking in power and he was doing signs and wonders and miracles he was declaring and people are looking around saying who is this? who is this man? who is this guy? He's speaking in a way like we've never heard anyone speak before. He speaks with authority and boldness and passion. And then he, he backs it up in power and might. There's no man like him. And so thousands, tens of thousands of people are beginning to gather. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to demonstrate something to them. I'm going to show them who I am. They want to know who I am. I'm going to demonstrate who I am. And it's very similar to the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, are you familiar with the seven I am statements? Jesus boldly declares that he is God. And this, these are the seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. And he also says, I am the true vine. So just in that same fashion... Jesus fulfills, intentionally fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Now a little backdrop before we get into the unfolding of this fulfillment that Jesus is orchestrating. This is the Passover week when he fulfills this prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. It's Passover week. This is, this is the week of his death. He's headed to his death. He's headed to, to Jerusalem. And there would have been hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people would have been gathered, would have, been, been, have come to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would have come for the pilgrimage of Passover. They would have celebrated every year in memory of the fact that the nation of Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage, as we saw in, in Exodus. And that whenever the final plague came, where the, the firstborn Male, uh, male children were all, were all judged by God because the nation of Israel had the sacrificial lamb and the blood over the doorpost. The, the death angel passed over all the homes of the children of Israel. None of the firstborn 
children were killed. None of the firstborn sons were killed. And so that's what Passover week was all about. They came to commemorate Passover and to make sacrifices unto God. And so there would have been hundreds of thousands of people. So I want you to get the scene. Follow me. Jesus had been doing miracles and doing signs and wonders. And tens of thousands of people had been following him. And now, and now they're all wanting to know, is, is, is Jesus going to go to Passover? And you can read that in the Gospels. Actually, people ask the question, is he going to be there? Will Jesus be in Jerusalem? Will he go to the feast? Will he go to the feast of Passover? And so there's this stir amongst the nation of Israel. There's this stir in Jerusalem. And people are wondering, will he be there? Will this miracle worker be there? His disciples who recognize him as as the Messiah, they're going to be there. And they're going to be following him. But there was this loud, big uproar centered around Passover week and whether Jesus was going to be there. And so Jesus, before Passover week, before the uproar is at its highest, Jesus does something amazing. He raises a man from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So if the crowds thought, who is this man before that? He fed the 5,000. He healed the man born blind. He did many other miracles. He touched the lepers, cleansed the lepers. And then... To top it all off, he raised someone from the dead. No one but God can raise the dead. No one but God can raise the dead. So now it's like at a fever pitch. This is the pinnacle. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to Passover week. And he says, he thinks, this is, this is what I see in this declaration of Christ. I've got an audience. They want to know who I am. They want to know what I've come to do. They want to know why I am here. I'm going to show them something. I'm going to show them why I'm here. I know the prophecy in Zechariah 9 that when the Messiah comes, he's going to ride on a donkey. He's going to be presented in humility as the king Messiah. And so this is what he does. To answer the questions of those who were still confused about who he was, Jesus tells this to two of his disciples in Luke 19. All four gospel accounts talk about the triumphal entry. And look at, we're going to look at Luke 19. Listen to this. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. There, where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. It's this interesting note here. Jesus is intentionally trying to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. He's fulfilling it. Because he wants to declare who he is to the hundreds of thousands of people that are gathering for Passover in Jerusalem. But isn't it amazing That in that fulfillment, he shows his his omniscience. He tells two of his disciples, go over there. Go to that village over there. Walk over there. There's going to be a colt. It's going to be tied up. You ask for the colt. The owners are going to ask you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Taking my colt. And all you got to say is, the Lord has need of it. And they're going to give you the colt. And you come and you bring it to me. I love that. I love that. Omniscience, omnipotence. He, he knows why he came. And he's about to declare that he is all-powerful. He is the all-powerful king of all kings. He is the Messiah king. He is the promised Messiah king. 
And so Jesus is about to make that declaration. And here's what I want to tell you. What, here's what I think when I thought about this story. As we're going to unpack it a little bit further. Everywhere that Jesus is declared. Every time. Listen to me. Every time the gospel is preached. There's really three kinds of people that are present. Three different types of people that are present when the gospel is preached. There could be other categories of people that might be present But in this story, in the triumphal entry, we see three primary types of people, categories of people that are present when the gospel is declared, when Jesus is presented as king. And so this is what we're going to look at. As I told you earlier, all four gospels deal with the triumphal entry, give their account of the triumphal entry. And we're going to primarily look look at two, Luke and John. And so here are the categories, the first category of people. When the gospel is preached, when Jesus is declared as not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not just a miracle worker, but when he is declared as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and the only way to salvation, when he is declared, you will always have, here's the first group of people, you'll always have the curious ones. You're going to always have the seekers, the curious ones. And that's what you saw. That's what happened at the Feast of Passover. There was an uproar about Christ. Who is this man? Who is he? Why is he here? What about all these miracles? Is it true? Did he really raise Lazarus from the dead? Is he truly the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for? They're curious. They're coming. Thousands had gathered to see Jesus. Tens of thousands. And they were curious. I've heard about this man, they might say. I've heard about him. He does miracles. I've heard that he opens the eyes of the blind, that he cleanses the lepers, that he casts out demons, and that he even raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. He called him out of the tomb. I, I, I just want to see who is this man. And I just want you to know that there, maybe you're here this morning, and that's who you are. You're like, it's just a Christmas service and a Christmas celebration and I'm coming because my, my child was on the stage and they're dancing and, and you're going to make me wait to the end for the children's choir. You're going to make me listen to your message. I don't know who Jesus is. I really just thought of him as a baby in a manger. You're curious. You're seeking. Just like the thousands of people that are gathered in Jerusalem. And Jesus is, is here to tell you today, just like he was here to tell them over 2,000 years ago, I want to tell you who I am. Yes, I am the one who brings the dead back to life. I am the one who heals the sick and raises the dead. I am the risen king. I was the coming Messiah, but I am the risen king. So if you're here today and you're a part of that group, the curious ones, Jesus is here to declare to you, I am who I say I am. I am the risen Savior. Jesus was deeply moved when he came to the tomb of Lazarus. And he came late. He didn't come when the disciples wanted him to come. He didn't come when Mary wanted him to come. And and they were overwhelmed because he waited to come. And when he finally came, he was moved with compassion. And he called Lazarus out of the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was raised. Maybe you're here today, you've heard that Jesus is still bringing dead people back to life. He's still calling those who were dead in their sins to newness of life. And I'm here to tell you that that is true. If you're curious here today and you're wondering, can I be forgiven? 
If you're curious today and you're wondering, can my sins be cleansed? Can the years of guilt that have been building up in my heart that have caused me to walk in depression because of past mistakes, can I really be forgiven? Can I really be cleansed? Can I really have a new life? And if you're born again here today and you have experienced new life, I want you to shout right now and demonstrate that that is true. If you're curious, all those that shouted, they'll tell you. They'll talk to you. And they'll tell you that it's true. The gospel is true. That the dead spiritually can come back to life and, and all of their past and all of your sins and all of your mistakes and all of your failures can be washed under the precious blood of Jesus Christ and be washed away and done away with forever. <laughs> Second Corinthians is true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're curious here today, I'm here to tell you, just as Jesus declared through the triumphal entry, he is king. Jesus is king, and he can be the king of your life here today. Second group of people that we see in this story of the triumphal entry and the second group of people that always find themselves in, 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 in a group, in a setting, in a place where the gospel is preached. The second group is this. Let's look at John twelve nineteen. This is further on in the story. This is, this is a result of the crowds. Listen to the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have been there. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, would have been there at the triumphal entry because they were there for the Feast of Passover to make the sacrifices they were there along with the priests and the, and the Levites, and they were there every year for the Feast of Passover. And listen to what they say. So the Pharisees said to one another, so I want you to get the picture. Just picture two Pharisees talking to one another. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Did you catch that? So I'm talking to a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. I'm talking to a Pharisee. I said, hey, 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 man, look. Look at all the thousands of people. Look at all these people. We're gaining nothing. And look, the whole world, they're exaggerating. That's how large the crowd was. They look at each other and they think, our influence is gone. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And so these are the next group of people. These are the hostile ones. You got the curious ones, but you also have the hostile ones. These scribes and Pharisees, they were the ones who ultimately, after this triumphal entry, after this bold declaration by Jesus of who he was, this was the tip of the iceberg for them. This was what pushed them over the edge, and this is what brought them down the path of hostility that they were already headed towards. And not long after, they have him arrested and tried and crucified. The scribes, and Pharisees, they were in a place of leadership and authority. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And they're looking at this Jesus and they're saying, he's taking our place. He's, he's, he's taking the authority that we have. We have the position. We, we get to wear the nice garments and we get, to, we get to walk around and have people call us rabbi. And here this man comes in. He's from, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He's, he's nobody. And here he comes and they have The whole world's gone after him. And the anger and hostility is building up within them. And eventually it overflows into the arrest and the the trial and the crucifixion of Christ. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't have that same type of hostility towards Christ. 
Maybe your anger is a little different. Maybe you're here today and you're angry at God for a different reason. You hear the message about Jesus and you're angry because you thought that life was supposed to happen differently. So when you hear the gospel preach and you hear that God can give you peace, and that God can work miracles in your life and he can do something great in your life, you think, that's not true. How, how is that true? And then you, you hear it again, your life is more difficult. You have more trials, you have more pain, you have more things that don't go the way you want them to go and then you come and you come back to another Christmas service. Maybe you come to Easter, you get invited to a Bible study and people tell you that God is faithful, that God is good, that God will always come through and you think that is not true. Look at my life. And it's just like this simmering hostility, this simmering anger, and it builds. Maybe that's you today, and you think, I just, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. You know what I think? I think the prosperity gospel, and I don't know if all of you know what the prosperity gospel is, but I think the prosperity gospel has ruined the gospel for a lot of people. Because here's what it does. It creates a God that is a genie in the bottle. It takes the promises of Scripture and makes them about here and now. I didn't know if I was going to preach this. Oh, goodness, Lord, help me. Okay, hold, wait, wait. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I catch my breath here. The promises of Scripture are for here and now. Right? You can be saved now. You can be born again now, forgiven now. You can have peace now. But the promises of Scripture are about eternity. Jesus didn't come just so you can have the money that you want and the houses that you want and the possessions that you want and the friends that you want. He came so that you could escape hell. He came so that you could be forgiven and not be judged for your sin. So a lot of you here today, maybe you're angry at a God, but he's not the real God. He's a God of somebody else's making. He's a God that you've been lied to about, and they've told you this is who God is, and this is what he's going to do. God came to save you and me from our sins. So I just want to speak with compassion to you here today. If you're angry, I want to, I want to read the words of Christ to you in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Listen to Christ, your compassionate Savior. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. If you're angry here today, if you feel hostility in your heart towards religion, towards church, towards God, because life hasn't worked out for you, I want you to know that you can come with all of your anger, all of your questions, all of your hostility, all of your doubts, You can come before the Lord, come and lay them all down at his feet, and the Lord will bring you peace. He will heal your broken heart. He will give you answers to your questions. So there's always three groups. The curious ones, the hostile ones, and lastly, the worshipers. The worshipers. So what happens at the triumphal entry? Let's keep reading in Luke 19. Jesus comes and boldly declares who he is through the triumphal entry. And it says this, and they brought, this is Luke 19, and they brought it to Jesus, the colt. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread the cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, a loud voice. Voice. It wasn't a whisper. It was a loud 
voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, these are the hostile ones. The Pharisees come and they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're out of line. Put them in their place. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen. So what is Jesus saying here? Wherever I'm at, wherever I'm preached, there's going to be worshipers. You're going to have, yeah, you're going to have the curious ones. You're going to have the hostile ones, but you're going to have worshipers. Amen. You're going to have those that are going to declare loudly who Christ is, loudly what he's done. Hosanna in the highest, king of all kings, Lord of all lords, Hosanna. And if we don't cry out, creation will cry out. Amen. So whatever position you find yourself in, curious, seeking, angry, hostile, the call is the same. God is seeking worshipers. That's what he's seeking. Do you remember the Samaritan woman? She was a sinful woman. She was living, she had, she had been divorced six times, living with, five times living with man number six. She was a Samaritan woman. She was of a tribe that was a mixed breed tribe according to the nation of Israel. And, they, and she was despised. She was sinful. And Jesus comes and speaks to her. He's pulling her to himself and drawing her to himself. And he tells the Samaritan woman, he says, the time's coming and now is when those who will worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth and that God is seeking such to worship him. So there's always going to be the the curious, the seeking, the hostile, the angry, but there's always going to be worshipers because that's what God is seeking. That's what you do when you've been forgiven. That's what you do when your life's been changed. You declare it. You speak it out loud. You open your mouth. You worship Christ with your life. You worship Christ with your song. You worship Christ with all that you have because of what he's done. So there is only one way to worship God in truth. That's what Jesus is seeking, right? Those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. There's only one way to worship God in truth. And how is that? That is to worship his son. There's only one way to worship God the Father in truth, and that is to worship Jesus, his Son. It's the only way. So we're called to worship the king, a king who was of the seed of Abraham, of the royal line of David, a king born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, a king exiled to Egypt, a king whose residence was obscurity in Nazareth. Let us worship The king who has the power over his creation. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. And just as he was, and and the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But But he was in the stern. Jesus was asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him. And he said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then 
is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let us worship the king who has power over his creation. Let us also worship the king who came humbly to serve humanity. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord their authority over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us worship the King who came to touch those who were unclean. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, unclean. And when he saw Jesus, the man, he fell on his face and begging him, said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him. Let's worship the king who who touches who came to touch those who were unclean. Let's worship the king who came to love the unlovable. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, the very act of adultery they had caught her. They put her in front of the crowd and the teacher, teacher they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. You want to stone her? If you have no sin, you, you go ahead. You throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman, the adulterous woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let us worship the king who came to love the sinner. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. The Pharisees came and they said, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he looked at them with compassion in his eyes. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Come, let us worship the king who came for sinners. Let us worship the king who came riding on a colt, who in humility presented himself as the one true king to die for the ones who hated him. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. (coughs) (coughs) Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace 
And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what I want to tell you what the book of Romans says. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who can say I'm better than you because I've, I've acted perfectly righteous. It's nobody. He came for all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened out his mouth and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. So this Christmas, let us be reminded that Christmas is not about the gifts we receive and about the gifts that we give. Christmas is about what those things represent. That Jesus came to be the greatest gift that humanity has ever had the opportunity to receive. That's what it's about. And I don't know where you are today and who you are, curious, angry, or if you're a worshiper here today, wherever you come from, we have one objective and one goal here today. One goal that Christmas, that's to worship Christ. Christmas is about the worship of the King that came humbly to his creation to give us the free gift of salvation. So will you worship him today? Will you worship the King today? Will you lift your hands and lift your voices? Will you not let the rocks worship for you today? Will you not let the stones worship for you today? Just stand to your feet. Let's worship King Jesus today.
Jesus, Lord, you are holy. You are king of all kings. We thank you, Lord, that we're here to worship. Not a baby in a manger, but a risen Savior. The Messiah King, born to die, to take our place. I want to open these altars here this morning. We're going to have our prayer time like we normally do in the middle before the children's choir will come. And the children's choir is going to end the service. We're going to sing a couple songs with them. So hang on until then. But we want to take time. It's Christmas service. We always want to leave time for prayer. And so maybe you're in that category. Maybe you are a curious seeker. You have answers. But today, through the power of God's word, maybe your heart has been opened. And today, you want to become a worshiper. You want to become a worshiper of the risen king. Maybe today you've been angry and you're ready to let it go. And you're ready to worship the one true God. To worship him as, a, as risen savior. And so we're going to, we're going to open up these altars. As if, if I could get the prayer counselors to come down front. And so if that's you, if you want to worship Christ as king as you never have. Or any prayer needs that you have. We want to open up to any prayer needs. If you're sick in your body. If you're discouraged and overwhelmed. The situations you're facing, we want you to come as well. Come and receive prayer. So let's take these next few moments. And just out of respect, just pray for those that come down to receive prayer.
we just thank you so much for the privilege of of coming and bringing our prayers to you. God, you're so faithful, and I thank you that we're able to come and lay our burdens at your feet. And I just pray that you'd help us, each one of us, help us to not grow weary in well-doing, to not grow weary in our prayers, to not faint, to not lose heart, to continue to trust you, that you know the end from the beginning, you know all the details of our life, that you know what we need before we even ask. And our trust is in you. We thank you, Lord, that we had a wonderful service, wonderful worship, wonderful time of hearing your word. And we're going to end with a, a celebration, celebration with our children. And God, I just thank you for all that you've done. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. If you're in the kids' choir out there, you guys make your way down front. You know where to go, and I'm going to get out of your way.